0: Hello Army of Nerds, how are you? This is Claire Smith, editor-in-chief of The Daily Texan, kicking it off for Politics and Pints. This week I'm joined by forum editor, as always, Walker Fountain, as well as two of the opinion department senior columnists, Ben Roy Chan. Hi. And Leah Kasher. Hey. All right, guys, let's get started. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the upcoming New York primary, which is next Tuesday, as well as the uh, projected Risk, albeit slight, to Texas for earthquakes due to fracking, which Ben Warrior wrote about this week in The Texan. And um, Leah's going to talk to us about FDA regulations of an abortion pill and that battle in Texas. Yeah, so right.
1: I'll, I'll kick it off and talk a All little right. bit since we have so many New Yorkers on our panel today. I figure, you know, this is a timely <laughs> topic. Uh, so next Tuesday, we're going to have the New York primary. Uh, it's a very interesting race right now. Uh, you've got on the Republican side uh, Donald Trump way ahead in the polls. Uh, but John Kasich's been campaigning through southern New York in more conservative uh, enclaves of of Westchester County, where I know uh, both Leah and I are from. Uh, in addition, he's also been floating around uh, the Bronx and Queens. And then on the Democratic side, you've got a very intense contest right now between between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Just last night, uh, a Bernie Sanders surrogate speaking at a rally in Washington Square Park uh, referred to um, Democrats uh, or people in bed with big business as as, uh uh, which raised a lot of condemnation. Wow. Uh, he claimed, of course, that it wasn't uh, referring to Hillary Clinton. A lot of Clinton supporters uh, took that differently. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, obviously, Bernie Sanders uh, issued a, a condemnation of that statement today. But definitely, the campaign is is getting ugly, and it's really a, a big deal right now. I mean, uh, Hillary is obviously very popular with a lot of folks in Manhattan, but. Bernie's definitely gaining ground there as well, holding a really tremendously large rally by NYU last night. So we're going to see what happens on Tuesday. But quick, for my fellow New Yorkers, uh, Leo, what, what do you think is going to happen?
2: I really don't know. I've thought about it. Um, and I think that they both... I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. They because could. Hillary
0: used to be. I mean, Hillary is a former senator from New York. So she is. What, what polling data indicates that Bernie Sanders really could take this? I
1: mean, so look, she, right now she's about 12 points ahead. Uh, and. She has great approval ratings, uh, great ratings from her time as a senator from New York. She obviously still maintains a, a home in Chappaqua, New York, which is north of the city. Also, so, what a
0: great name for a town. Chappaqua, Chappaqua yeah. Chappaqua, <laughs> New York. <laughs> Used to play them
1: in soccer. Um, but <laughs> I, I my, my guess is that she'll carry it. I do think it's probably going to be a little tighter than we think right now, just because, you know, Bernie Sanders has the the benefit of being popular with blue-collar folks. Uh, You know, he held a massive rally in Buffalo a few days ago. And he also has the benefit of being popular with a lot of uh, lower-income people in Brooklyn, Queens, uh, you know, west side of Manhattan, the Bronx. So... We'll see. I mean, Hillary obviously does very well uh, with the African American community and with the Latino community. I'm sure that'll serve her well in, in some of the outer boroughs in New York City. But um, I imagine, you know, she'll carry it, but it's going to be close. But okay. probably closer than it will be on the Republican side, where Donald Trump is. Uh, definitely going to do pretty well being like the the only homegrown candidate uh, on that okay. side of the ball.
0: So everyone on this panel is a New Yorker except for me. So Ben Roy and Leah, what are y'all thinking about the fact that so far, I mean, Hillary was the go-to candidate at the beginning of this, and now that she's having to fight so, so hard to get New York this late in the game, what do y'all think that that says? I mean, especially since she's won everything else. Do you think that that's sort of about maybe some doubts that like the general population has because certainly primary voters aren't aren't usually the normal voters so what what's y'all's take on that
1: honestly i mean here i can chime in a little bit kind of you guys can feed off me but basically i mean bernie sanders has run a heck of a campaign in New York and across the country and I think his message resonates a lot with with communities in upstate New York who have seen their economy falter basically since the early 2000's with a lot of manufacturing jobs leaving the United States or being moved elsewhere upstate New York towns like Utica and Poughkeepsie have had a really tough time. Hillary Clinton was elected as a senator in 2000 effectively promising to bring over 200,000 new jobs to upstate. That never happened and so I think you have a lot of folks up there saying well you know maybe Bernie Sanders is the guy for us now. Now Hillary would obviously counter by saying she you know, expected to have a Democratic administration in the White House to advocate for policies that would help blue-collar workers in upstate, but when Bernie Sanders is there kind of railing on income inequality, railing on trade deals, which are a big deal in the Rust Belt, I think that resonates with a lot of folks up there, and I think that's why he's
3: he's definitely closing the gap. I think people have really underestimated Sanders. Yeah.
0: Do y'all see a lot of support for Sanders among our own peers and sort of the young millennial type voter base? Yeah,
3: definitely. Even people in the Daily Tuckton staff have stickers on their laptops supporting Sanders. Mm-hmm. Only opinion staffers, Only though. opinion yeah. staffers,
0: yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, the opinion page is always a light with news about the presidential race. I mean, yeah. from... You know, it's hard because I guess we don't have Rubio to kick around, even in a way of just hoping for a somewhat moderate choice for for the Republican nomination. Because as much as I love Kasich, and you know, you listeners know I do, I love Kasich. He's just not going to get it as much as yeah. I yeah. wanted to. It's just, poor it's,
3: I know well, poor he had Kasich. a he had a great
1: trip through Arthur Avenue in the Bronx, uh, eating uh, among other things a, a hero, an Italian hero sandwich. <gasps> Three plates of spaghetti, had a little red wine at noon. He's enjoying his campaign in New York. We'll there see you how go. he does.
3: Um,
1: speaking of Republican politics though, one of the big issues there is, is energy uh, and specifically hydraulic fracturing and, and kind of new ways of, of harnessing oil and gas to drive the American economy forward. Ben Ward, you want to talk a little bit about your con this week and, and the risk from, I believe it's wastewater disposal wells associated with fracking and, and how
3: that might influence seismic activity in Texas. So the USGS recently released a projected map for areas in the United States that will experience earthquakes, and usually the area with the biggest risk is obviously California because it's situated near a transform fault boundary. Uh, but what you're, what we're seeing now for the first time is that the USGS has decided to include the risk associated with induced seismicity, and that's just a fancy word for earthquakes caused by human inter- interference. So. The USGS releases map, and of this map, Texas falls in it, but it's only noticeable in a small area nearby Dallas. But if you look at Oklahoma, where this type of issue has really sprung up lately, um, the map is has a lot of color in that area, signifying. A high potential for damaging earthquakes. In which the is future. odd
0: because Oklahoma is in the middle of a tectonic plate where there's not really supposed to be a lot
3: of. Yeah, so there's two types activity. of earthquakes and it's con- it, they're caused by interplate, they occur at interplate boundaries or within plates, which is called inter, uh, interplate earthquake. And it's really odd because usually you have earthquakes because there's a lot of tension at these plate boundaries, but Oklahoma sits in the middle of a tectonic plate. So I really think we've underestimated what human interference can do to the Earth, and
1: we'll have to right. see. Right. Can so, well, I ask a sure. quick question about that, because from my understanding at least, um, and maybe, I, I don't want to ask you too many scientific questions, because obviously I don't think any of us are scientists, <laughs> but from what I understand at least, like the earthquakes that have occurred in, in Oklahoma, there are quite a few of them documented to be or at least associated with human interference, but a lot of them are very, very low on the Richter scale, like, you know, threes, twos, fours, that kind of thing. So is this the kind of thing that the that the USGS or the US government is concerned could could grow in magnitude, or uh, is it going to stay around those kind of, basically, harmless uh, shock uh, levels?
3: Well, there was an earthquake in 2011, which was only a few years after the fracking has started. and. Um, it was a 5.6 on the Richter magnitude, okay. which is considerably high considering Oklahoma doesn't experience, That's doesn't experience whoa. earthquakes.
0: That's pretty high.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma in like 2008, they've only experienced like maybe one to three earthquakes, or maybe even zero in a year. And now you have the rise of these 3.0 or greater earthquakes. And in 2015, it's at the number read at 890. So obviously there's, a, there's some risk here, but whether or not they'll grow, we're still unsure of because we don't know everything about how fragile the rocks are. And so this
1: comes, at least a lot of scientists are saying, from wastewater disposal wells. And those are effectively, um, after the process of fracking, to my understanding, these wells are drilled to effectively extract the... The wastewater that was used to release the the gas and the fracking t- fracking process is that yeah, correct? Yeah. So
3: after you frac, you have a lot of this fluid. and It's just called wastewater fluid, and it's highly toxic. So you can't just like dispose of it in a river, and you can't just you can't just leave it there. So it okay. has to go somewhere. So what they're doing is they're inj- injecting it deep into the earth, and. I think there's a lot of unforeseen risk that has occurred because of that. Okay. Well, I'm impressed
1: that I got that right,
3: I
0: have to say. (laughs) And fracking so often has to do with the oil and gas industry, which is so big in Texas. I mean, in the last legislative session, just last spring, there was a bill proposed that was going to, instead of putting any sort of state government boundaries on fracking, it was going to allow local communities to make their own decisions about fracking in pretty small communities. Um, what's your take on that, Ben Roy? Do you think that was responsible? or I mean, ha- how do you think that this issue should be handled moving forward?
3: I think this might sound a little bit elitist, but a lot of people don't have a very good uh, foundation on scientific matters. And what you have, what you're seeing in Oklahoma, like Walker said earlier, is that you have these earthquakes that are only around 3.0 in, on the Richter scale, and these don't even come close to the types of earthquakes experienced in California and like Japan, which are natural centers for earthquakes. So although these earthquakes are alarming because they're never, they've never happened before, the danger they present at this current moment isn't something that we need to freak out about, but definitely something we should be concerned about in the future, especially if they grow.
0: Certainly something that will be alarming when it goes unchecked. Um, Something similar to that is what Leah wrote about this week um, in terms of FDA regulations about um, an abortion pill. That is such a big topic in Texas recently, especially since um, the summer of 2013 when then State Senator Wendy Davis had a huge filibuster um, against, you know, certain certain regulations that were eventually imposed on um, abortion clinics in Texas, or really just healthcare facilities that also um,
2: allowed um, abortions to take place. So, Leah, do you want to catch us up to speed on this debate? Sure. So um, essentially what happened was the FDA changed the regulations on the abortion pill Mifeprex, which originally was labeled as a 700 milligram pill, which required women to travel to their doctor's office three times in order to get this pill. So the um, you had to take it in different doses. So now the FDA has lowered the recommended dose, which was something the doctors were doing off-label, which is like a common practice anyway for a while, um, which in Texas has made a huge difference because Texas restricts the use of abortion pills by saying that it has to be used as the label um, says. And with House Bill 2 being debated, which essentially um, is shutting down 60% of Texas's abortion clinics, women in rural areas cannot make the trip three times to their doctors to get this pill. So it makes a huge difference that the FDA has changed regulations.
0: Yeah, and I mean, according to research here in Texas, women who are located anywhere close towards um, the Texas-Mexico border, anywhere near the valley, would have to travel several hours, potentially take... Days off of work in order to make this trip, um, right. and if they didn't have, you know, the resources of, of owning a car themselves, potentially paying a really high sum in terms of accessing public transportation in this way, um, right. which another columnist, Josie McLean, wrote this week, has caused or likely caused um, an enormous spike in. Um, attempts to induce at
2: home abortions here in Texas. So
0: how do you see this shaking out, Leah?
2: Well, in Texas, there's also a law that says you have to get um, an ultrasound 24 hours before you can receive an abortion. And they have to read you a list of all possible side effects, which less than 0.5% of women who receive abortions get in the first place. So women are already being scared off, so I see this Maybe not entirely changing Texas's culture, but definitely making it easier for women in rural areas and who already are having difficulty um, financially getting an abortion or um, being able to go through the long process Texas forces you to go through. Um, it'll make it a little bit easier, and hopefully, in time, this small shift will make a bigger difference.
0: Right, and so. Texas, actually, is the third state in the union with the highest number of sexually transmitted diseases. So we're sort of jumping a little bit, but as John Av. Nemo Walker wrote in another column this week about cisgender exclusive sex education in texas texas has an abstinence only sex education program which is incredibly problematic has been shown time and time again in studies that abstinence only education program that states that employ abstinence only education programs have much higher rates sexually transmitted diseases teen pregnancy and so this is potentially a problem that goes much higher much higher up and something that could even be um, that changes could be made um, in a lot of different ways. So um, potentially, there are there are a lot of changes that can be made in Texas that would change the landscape of reproductive rights in Texas, but particularly relating to the abortion debate, um, which has had a lot of national press since Wendy Davis's filibuster in 2013.
2: And especially, I think, with the lack of effective sex education in Texas and the fact that um, most schools, public schools, private schools, don't teach the use of condoms, etc., it's really, really problematic that they continue to not allow women to get abortions because they have the I think first or second highest teen pregnancy rate in the United States. So it's incredibly hypocritical and incredibly unproductive. Well, and so it's,
1: it's it's really weird. just a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah I mean you increase the need for abortions by not having abstinence, uh, by having abstinence-only education and kind of just repeats itself over and over. Exactly. And
0: frankly, as a woman who was born and raised in Texas, I deserve, I deserved better sexual education as all Texas women did um, in our schools. Pretending that something doesn't happen doesn't prevent a problem from occurring because of it.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's so. very stick-in-the-mud kind of behavior, you yeah. know?
0: So, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Claire Smith, Editor-in-Chief of the Daily Texan, joined, as always, in Politics and Pines by our forum editor, Walker Fountain, and this week by our special guests, Ben Chan and Leah Kasher. Be sure to check out their columns online at www.dailytexanonline.com and give us a follow on at Texan Editorial and at Texan Podcast. Thanks so much.
1: This podcast was produced by the Daily Texan and hosted by Claire Smith and Walker Fountain with special guests Leah Kasher and Ben Roy Chan. And the music was by Christopher Hansen. Be sure to check back next week for our next episode. And for more politics news, go to dailytexanonline.com.